Hi everyone, welcome to How Did You Gain a Testimony. I interview all different kinds of people to figure out how they gained a testimony in hopes that you can relate to one of them and find comfort in their journey. Finding Jesus Christ is different for everyone and I hope all these different stories can help you. I'm sorry there's been a little bit of a delay in me publishing episodes, totally my bad, but it's it's been worth it. This episode's a hard hitter, it's a banger, and um, don't worry, I'm going to start <laughs> getting those episodes out at a lot more frequent rate, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, but also, I'm always open to any suggestions, so if you guys have anybody who you think has a super good story, I would love, love, love to interview them. Just follow the podcast instagram dm me you can email me i kind of include some of that information at the end of the episode so um stay along listen for that but today i interviewed jonathan brinley an instructor of ancient scripture at brigham young university jonathan's childhood was unique because his father was also a scriptorian and a professor at byu brinley talks about how his father's profession allowed him to gain a lot of insight and motivation to come closer to jesus christ because he got to listen to and interact with many other professional scriptorians and speakers in the field but brinley beautifully explains the feeling of having a testimony but struggling to read the scriptures he talks about the difficulties of missionary work and the joys of it as well he discusses his experience finding an eternal companion and his personal struggles with that and finally, he gives some incredible advice about gaining a testimony. My favorite being that he explains that gaining a testimony means taking on a responsibility. He explains how once you receive a personal witness of Jesus Christ, there's no going back. So approaching gaining testimony cannot be a casual endeavor. It's an all-in lifestyle. I truly love this podcast episode and feel so blessed that I was able to talk with Professor Brindley. And I hope you all enjoy. I'm here with Jonathan Brinley, who just happens to be my New Testament religion professor. But Jonathan, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, everyone. Uh, I'm, as she said, Jonathan <laughs> Brinley, um, teaching here on campus at BYU. I have been in uh, teaching seminary for 27 years or something like that. Uh, but now I'm just so excited to be here on campus at BYU and get to work with a little bit um older student and with a little more experiences in life has just been just absolutely so fun yeah for me I love it my wife Denise and I met as counselors at EFY and we have seven children um, most of whom are out of the house we have three youngers at home teenagers and that's fun for us yeah Um, but love family love being together and uh, anyway, so there's a little bit about me. Yes, yeah. that's perfect. Thank you so much. Yeah. Do you want to give us a little bit of a background on you? So, like, where did you grow up? Was that in the church? What was your yeah. home life like? Yeah. No, I have always uh, been a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My dad was a religious educator. He taught institute. Um, so my growing up, I really grew up in South Ogden. Uh, Utah. My dad was teaching institute at Weber State University at the time. Um, was Weber State College now University anyway? And so I really kind of grew up seeing him at the institute and all of that. Then he was called as a mission president, so we moved my senior year um, to that. And then he was hired to teach actually here at BYU. So wow. 
I know his picture's up on the wall, up on the third floor, and I walk by it, and I'm like, hey, Dad. And, <laughs> anyway, and I always feel a little humble um, following in his footsteps in that way. So I grew up in a very doctrinally oriented home. I oh. even, I'd say even a pretty orthodox uh, home. We, uh, we lived the standards of the church fairly strictly okay. uh, in the house. And um, so anyway, I grew up uh, in a very religious home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when you say more orthodox, are you meaning like more like letter of the law versus yeah, like but, spirit of the yeah, law? Yeah, a little more strict. Oh, I wouldn't say there wasn't a spirit about it. Okay. Uh, but it was, a, it was a pretty strict home. My parents um, kept to what they understood the standards of the church to be okay. um, and invited us as children <laughs> to uh, live by those standards in yeah. our lives. So. Did you have a lot of siblings? Uh, I am the fourth of six children. Okay. So, yeah. Was growing up in this, like, home where, like, clearly your dad understands a lot about the gospel, did you ever feel intimidated by, like, his wealth of knowledge or feel pressure to, like, eventually get to that? Uh, I wouldn't say intimidated, but certainly there was an expectation. And there have been plenty of times in my life where it was, where I have felt like, God has every right to expect more from me because of the way I was taught growing up and the way I knew that I should live. So it, it wasn't an intimidating thing so much as just, I, uh, I don't know, for me, maybe more inspiring. Like, I, boy, I should be better. I should, I've always known this. I've always understood these truths. You know, I, I, should, I should know. I should, be, I should be living better than I am mm-hmm. kind of a thing. I don't know that it was in the sense of a guilt or a shame, but more just inspiring, sort of like, yeah. man, I, yeah, he has a right to expect more from me. I could, I could be doing better, kind wow. of a thing. That is so cool to understand in your teenage years, you know, to have that maturity to be like, I need to be better. Um, when your dad was called as a mission president, did you <laughs> feel any pressure then to like represent the church and to represent him as a mission president? Uh, at first, I thought this is going to be such a cool opportunity to just go. I was a senior in high school, yeah. So I had been involved in sports and some different things, and so now I'm going to a new school, and I thought, man, I could be whatever I want to be. Like I could be, <laughs> yeah. You know, I could be just totally different persona kind of a thing. And so I really kind of tried that at first, tried to be something different than I was, and I found out pretty quickly, it gets. It is no good. It uh-huh. is no fun trying to be something you're not. Yeah. Uh, that really kind of backfired on me. And so the like the last half of the school year was really fun because I finally was just like, okay, I, I just got to be, yeah. uh, I have to be me. And that's when I felt like I started to, there wasn't a pressure of, uh, I don't know, representing him, certainly representing the church. I was living in an area where there were four members of the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints, in my high school, uh, and that was it. Yeah. So um, there, there was certainly, I don't know, I, I guess a little bit of a pressure to represent, yeah. um, but that, that sat well with me. Like that was, that was a good opportunity for me uh, to not slip into, uh, I don't know, some lackadaisical sort of a... Yeah. Uh, an effort because everybody else was or something. So. Uh-huh. Was how did like being so close to missionary work impact your testimony? 
Um, that's a fair question. That they'd have mission conferences at the house where I lived in the mission home. Yeah. You know, so dad's the mission president and they'd have missionaries over and do different, um, I don't know, firesides and different, uh, different things that certainly were fun. I, um, but I don't know that that really is what triggered it for me. Like, oh, I want to be a missionary or, oh man, I know the church is true because yeah. it added it added to the store of spiritual experience, the reservoir of spiritual experiences in my life. Mm-hmm. Being with such good uh, young people, young adults who love the gospel and were trying their best yeah. to live it and to share a gospel message. Um, so that maybe had more of an impact on, I don't know even impact, on just my desire to serve a mission. It was, uh, that had always kind of been there, mm. you know, for me. I'd say for me, maybe the, the, the biggest factor in my, in my developing a testimony was that my dad would always be asked to come speak at, um, they'd have an evening um, where they would invite different speakers in and they would do kind of a mini education week okay. sort of a thing, but on a weekend. Uh, they called them Know Your Religion series. And so my dad was invited to go all throughout really the country, but mostly the Western United States, okay. and to go speak at these different events. And so he would take one or the other of the kids with him. And so it was my turn. I'd get to, you know, we'd jump in the car and we'd head off to Idaho or California <clears throat> or Nevada or even just somewhere else in Utah um, where he would be speaking. And sometimes I would sit in and listen to him. Sometimes they would have youth speakers at these things too. And so I grew up listening to some of these other youth speakers who were just powerful people. They had powerful testimonies that just resonated with me. And I just, to sit and listen um, to their testimonies, to their witnesses of Jesus Christ, to feel the Spirit in those moments was probably the most impactful thing on my testimony and who I am today. Like I am a religious educator today. Yeah. In part because I I felt the spirit and grew from the testimonies of these incredible people, men and women, mm-hmm. um, sharing their stories and their testimonies and their insights from the scriptures in those in those um settings yeah that i just i ate it up and i <laughs> loved it i mean as a teenage kid and that sounds a little weird like yeah, you know yeah. <laughs> teenagers are notorious for their off the wall sort of things and yeah. i was so grounded in the gospel like i loved any chance to go to a fireside or to hear somebody mm. whose name i knew that i was like oh this is going to be good yes. they they are going to be amazing and that that always just I don't know, resonated with me mm-hmm. to hear people like that speaking and testifying. Yeah. How did you like hear these testimonies and then like apply it to your life? Like how would you take that home and let that momentum carry you? Um, I don't know that application was ever really the strongest <laughs> element for me in putting it into practice mm. um, in terms of a, oh, I'm going to go do this. Like I remember writing in my journal, um, Read your scriptures 
for, if not for yourself, for that particular speaker or that particular speaker. Like mm. I loved them so much and I wanted to do what they wanted me to do. You know, they yeah. would say, you sh you've got to read your scriptures. There is power in the word of Christ, you know? Mm. And so, but reading the scriptures never came easily for me. That wasn't like, oh yeah, I love the scriptures. I am jumping in. Um, I, and so I, I remember that feeling motivated because I knew they loved it. And that, that brought them um, joy and insights. But yeah. like reading the scriptures has always been a, uh, I don't know, a struggle. Uh, I don't know, a struggle. It's, it's never come easily as a habit that I've developed, you know. Yeah. I've always resonated more with the spoken word, with general authorities, with general conference. I've always loved a general conference. Like I'm, I got my notes out and I'm ready to go, mm -hmm. you know. Um, that it's just more easily internalized for me from that. Um, but I'd say my, so I'd say, I guess my testimony comes from a compilation or a number of times of feeling the spirit and having those spiritual experiences, hearing other people's witness, maybe more than finding an insight in the scriptures that I was like, oh my gosh, mm. that's so cool. Yeah. Or even, and, and I suppose all of that, I hope has had a refining impact on my character. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. maybe more than I, more than I know. But the intentionality of that as a youth was not, wasn't there. Mm -hmm. Of being intentional in my um, efforts to change something in my life or to become more like Christ. Yeah. You know, my desire was to be in a place where I could feel the Spirit. Um, and that's a good and righteous desire. For sure. And that's... So that's where I think it happened for me, was in those kind of environments mm -hmm. um, that I felt a testimony came yeah. for me. So, I don't know if this makes sense to you, but did you ever experience sort of like um, like an element of like cognitive dissonance where sometimes I feel like, or I've heard <laughs> experience of like where you listen to general conference yeah. and then they're talking about like the standard or they're talking about living like the yeah. higher law and you're just like, I am not there. And, um, I actually think you talked about it in your class about how people have like different reactions to that cognitive dissonance, either they like push themselves away or they fake it or they yeah. like, you, you have to meet it. Did you ever experience that in like listening to all these inspirational speakers? Um, certainly as I got older, it wasn't in my youth, it was just take it as it comes and I was loving it and eating it up. Yeah. You know, uh, it probably wasn't until I was, I don't know, senior year and, and now, um, out in what we would call the mission field, and, yeah, and, you yeah. know, uh, I'm away from Utah and experiencing some of life um, in my job. Uh, I worked at Chick-fil-A, um, <laughs> you know, and, and just being away from home and being away from, I don't know, from Utah and those constant influences. Hey guys, sorry about this interruption. There was a little bit of some technological difficulties and the audio actually cut out right here, but he's just talking about how 
he's moving away from these cognitive, I mean, constant influences of, like, church members, and it kind of created this, like, cognitive dissonance, is the word that he uses, and then he's gonna start telling this story about a manifestation of how those differences affected his testimony, so just keep listening. I had a friend in high school and of a different faith, and so we kind of had this deal like, hey, I'll go to your church and you come to mine. Yeah. And everything. I'm like, oh, this is a good deal, you know? Uh-huh. So I went to his service and I was honestly surprised to have felt something there. Mm. That it wasn't this dark, cold, evil, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind of thing void of the spirit. I was like, wow. I looked around and I'm like, these are good people. Uh-huh. And the message, it was a really good message from that church leader. And I remember coming home and I was, I was so confused. I was like, how, how does that, how does that happen? Mm -hmm. How's that possible? Like I thought, you know, there's, it's, it's black and white. And I think that was the first time I was really exposed to the idea of there is so much good out there, Yeah. you know, that's, that's also true and good and beautiful um, outside of our own experience, um, my own experience in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, that was, anyway, that I had to kind of resolve. I had to kind of work through that. Yeah. But that was the first time I remember feeling as a senior in high school and going, hmm, okay, I got I to gotta figure that out. I got to work through that. Uh-huh. And what kind of strategies did you employ to work through that? asking my parents for example like hey how does you know how does this work mm-hmm. turning certainly to the lord in prayer um I'm trying to remember if there were any scriptures that that came to my mind or that i thought through at that time but certainly having those discussions with um people that i trust and that i love mm-hmm. who were firm in the faith was really helpful for me in working through that but in the end, just having to process those ideas in my own mind and in my heart and yeah. in prayer and trying to understand that, mm-hmm. I guess, is really what it would come down to. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about missions. Okay. Where do you think your desire to serve a mission started? To be honest, I don't know if it was ever like an, a strong, intense desire. Like, oh my gosh, I am so excited to like go on a mission. You know, like, yeah. I don't know that that was me. Okay. Um, for me, that was, it was a sense of duty. It was uh, mm. expectation. It's a priesthood responsibility. I understood that. I knew that. I accepted that. And so that's what it was for me. It, yeah. You know, I, I don't, I can't remember really very many times where it was just like, I'm so excited to get out there and just like oh, convert the world kind of a thing. Like yeah. I, I was like, okay, yeah, no, I'm, yeah, of course I'm going on a mission. I'm going to go give it the best I can. And the Lord's given me a lot of gifts and abilities and I'm going to do everything I can to be the best missionary I can, Yeah, you know? And it was that idea going into it, but it wasn't ever like a, a desire per se. It was just out of, except to do what I knew I was supposed to do. Uh-huh. You know? And did you have older siblings that had served missions? Yep. You? My older brother served in Japan. Wow. Um, yeah. And we had gone to pick him up from his mission. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. And uh-huh. my parents had been mission presidents. Yep. 
as we talked about. So those kinds of things were in place for sure and probably had a contributing factor to all of that. Uh -huh. uh, but more, I think it was just an expectation in our, yeah. in our family. Uh, none of my sisters, older sisters, served a mission. Mm -hmm. My younger sister and younger brother served. Uh, of course, that was after me. But Yeah. Um, so, obviously people talk about the benefits of a mission and the joy you yeah. experience from yeah. coming to understand Christ and all that stuff. Did being in a mission home and seeing all of these missionaries and interacting so closely with them, I'm sure, or did you, <laughs> um see like the hard part of serving a mission and like <laughs> the taxing and like the exhausting yeah. nature of it and did that change i don't know if it was so much in the missionaries as it was in the mission president mm, yeah. <laughs> in watching my dad i honestly i don't know that i saw my dad cry more mm -hmm. than when he was a mission president yeah just hurting for those missionaries and trying to know how to help them and all of that. So I don't know that I was exposed to just, oh, that's, that's I'm sure I heard stories from the missionaries. I'm like, oh man, that's tough. That's a yeah. tough situation, you know, whatever. Yeah. But watching my parents, um, that's kind of instilled a fear in me to be a mission president. Like, I, that's not a calling I ever aspire to or anything. Like, that scares me to this day, just because yeah. I watched what my dad went through and, you know, and what that was like for him and just, and some of those stories. But, um, yeah, so I don't know that there was much of the difficulty of that. Um, I, I guess a little bit, but more it was through the perspective of my dad. Okay. And where did you serve a mission? I was called to Colombia, to Bogota, Colombia, um, but I was only there two months and then they took all of the North Americans in Colombia and had to move them out. Uh, and so I went to Ecuador, and so, which is right next door. So I was in Quito, Ecuador, and that's really where I served the majority of my mission. But that's not where I'd been called. Dang. Yeah. That is so cool. What was it like learning a language and then going to a completely different yeah, environment? Yeah, so I, and I, I grew up learning Spanish. I mean, seventh grade, junior high. Yeah. Mr. Bocut, Senior Bocut. <laughs> you know, we had, I was in Spanish class, and I had Spanish every year until we moved my senior year, actually. And then because in Texas the, the requirements were different, so I had oh, to yeah. take some different classes so I couldn't stay with my Spanish. So I, I had Spanish every year, so I kind of felt like maybe that's where you know I, would, I might be going mm -hmm. um, to some sort of a Spanish-speaking mission. But my heritage is Swedish, and my grandma Hannah was alive at the time, and I I thought her prayers alone that I would that I go to Sweden yeah. might override any of the language <laughs> training that I had. Um, but between that, between that study of Spanish and when we'd gone to pick up my brother from his mission in Japan, that those two things really exposed me to the ideas of cultures and languages that really instilled something in me that I still resonates to this day. I love languages and cultures and um, studying how other people learn and speak and communicate and, mm -hmm. and, and you know, what, what their cultures are like. Yeah. So it was exciting to you to go and experience the new culture in Colombia? It certainly was fascinating and fun. 
Okay. Having said that, uh-huh. um, like my first companion was Colombian, and we were out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> and so um, I learned Spanish really quickly from him. What I didn't know, because I there was no other option. Like he didn't know English. Yeah. Most of the people around me didn't know English, and so I was thrown into it. And at first, you know, that was really hard. And it was a little bit lonely. Yeah. Not being able to really just express my heart. So I, I poured my heart out in my journal and uh, in dictating on tapes and those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, but eventually that kind of subsided and I found my way in, in the language. Mm. Um, that was fun for me. What learn. advice would you give to people who are in that situation? I have a lot of friends actually who are just starting their missions right now and just have like a native companion and they're like, I haven't spoken English in so long. I don't know yeah. what to do. Yeah. And that's so, it's so, it really can be so lonely and so hard. And, um, I love the, I love the counsel though, that like president Hinckley's father gave to him it was like, you forget yourself and you go to work. It's not about you and your struggles. And you know, that's real. And I'm not undermining that, that that's a real struggle and it's a real challenge and it can feel so lonely and feels so hard. Um, but you want to be the best servant, the best help you can be to the Lord in his work. And so part of that, and for those um, called to learn a language, is that struggle. It's that challenge of learning a language to represent him the very best that you can, mm-hmm. you know. And I didn't want those words to get in the way of expressing how I felt about him and about the church and about the gospel. Yeah. And you know, my testimony had come through these eloquent speakers and all yeah. of that. And I am speaking very uneloquently <laughs> in this Spanish language, you know. And I'm just like, okay. I've got to learn this. And for me, um, just reading the Book of Mormon in Spanish mm. really helped my language. Reading it out loud in my room just, yeah, really helped my language to come along. And, of course, connected me with him and the message. Mm-hmm. There. I've also heard now, wait, did you have preach my gospel when you were a missionary? No. Okay, yeah. I've I'm also... that old. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that reading preach my gospel yeah. in your mission language really yeah. helps too because that's the kind of work. Oh, that, that yeah, the preach my gospel is so beautifully constructed. So so uh, good. And the way it lays out the gospel for uh-huh. you and your lessons and all. So yeah, I can see absolutely what a, what a blessing what a godsend that is. So, uh huh, yeah. for sure. Um, what was it like to change missions? Like, what was that transition like for you? Okay, so. I'm kind of an adventurous sort of a spirit, sort of a soul. Like, you know, if if I'm on a tour, I'm like the last one on the bus and people are looking for me like, where is he now? Because <laughs> I'm off exploring. So for me, it was an adventure. Like, yeah. you know, and that was from the get-go. So there were some visa problems. So even going into Colombia, I couldn't wear my name tag. Uh, when we landed, I had to be like in P-Day clothes. I couldn't be dressed up because they had, I mean, they had told us, you don't really have a missionary visa, so you're going in on a tourist visa. So you kind of need to look like a tourist. I'm like, oh, 
oh, <laughs> undercover. Like that was code for undercover yeah. in my mind, right? So I'm an undercover missionary. Well, that sounds awesome. You know? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, so undercover missionary going in. And we show up at the airport and the mission presence is like, why are you guys dressed like that? <laughs> you know, and we're like, oh, we were, we were told to. And so it's like, no, you're fine. Let's get in your missionary clothes. And I was like, oh, okay. So then when we had to leave the country, it was, uh, things were a little bit dicey at that time politically mm. and all of that. So we'd had a security conference um, and they had warned us about some of the things going on. So the way I left the country was, you know, they called, I got a call from the mission home one night and they said, you can't tell anyone you're leaving. You got to pack up everything and get to the mission home as soon as you can. Yeah. So again, I'm back to undercover, yeah. oh, spy <laughs> secret like stuff, you know. So I'm relishing in that. I'm like, yeah. oh, okay. So I'm packing everything up and we can't tell anybody and we get on a bus and go to the mission home or we... They put us up in a place for a couple of, a night or two before they could finally get us all out of the country. And it was like, you know, so it's like sneaking us out yeah. of the country. So it was like, you know, for me, that was all just an adventurous thrill kind of fun. It wasn't like, like, oh man, um, this is really hard. The only, the only tricky part about that was, and another maybe cognitive dissonance was, but I was called to Colombia. And now I'm in Ecuador. So did God know? A am I where I'm supposed to be now? Yeah. Or is this a mistake or whatever, you know? For and sure. and having to really come to that um I don't know, that conclusion, that testimony, that knowledge that God knows. He knows where you are, you know. He knows your name. He knows where you are. Um and so that that was a revelation for me from that experience. Mm -hmm. And though unsettling or adventurous, you know, eventually I had to kind of come to that, to that knowledge uh, in some of those harder moments. Mm -hmm. But it came and he let me know. Yeah. Where you served in Quito. Yeah. Is that a pretty impoverished area? Like, is it poor? There certainly are parts. Okay. Yeah, there are parts, and I was not in... There are wealthier areas, but I was never serving in the wealthier areas. <laughs> <laughs> How did being around such, like, poverty yeah. and, like, people just, like, going through it, how did that affect your testimony and how you, like, preached the gospel? Um, it's humbling to see people in those kind of circumstances and you feel for them. And yet, you know it's people in those circumstances who are more open and they're more receptive to, um, to a message of hope and of change because they want that, right? They need hope. They want change from their circumstances. And, and the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, of, of great hope. Mm -hmm. Not just in this life, but eternally, right? Yeah. Um, and that we can change. Um, and that we can find peace in our difficult 
current circumstances. Um, so that's that was just a joy to be able to bring that to people. Yeah. But an absolute heartbreak when they wouldn't accept or follow through or stick with it because of their own cognitive dissonances yeah. or you know their own difficulties their own challenges or traditions maybe more said yeah um, that they were up against yeah were there any other kind of like hardships that challenged your testimony on your mission um yeah there's a couple <laughs> um, when was the health thing? I got got really sick, mm. um, and we had we had a a lady who lived next door, a member of the church, who would do laundry for us and all that. And so I I stayed on her couch for a few days, just with a high fever. Oh gosh! Just out. And very natural in those circumstances to go, why, why? Mm. Like, okay, so God calls me on a mission and I dutifully respond to go on a mission. So then this should all go pretty smoothly, right? I mean, this is, you know, this is his work. It wasn't mine. Like I, you know, I'm happy to go, but I assume that things are going to go better. And here I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sick and I'm out of commission and I can't be out doing what I'm supposed to be doing and um, that, that'll push you a little bit in your faith, in your, you know, how, how does this happen when he asked you to be there in the first place? Yeah, you know, for sure. Kind of a thing. And the other um, was when the mission president called me in one time and said, I had... I had a revelation about what needs to happen with you. And so I'm like, wow, okay. Yeah. Like God knows my name and he's got a he's got a purpose for me and all of that. For sure. And the mission president says, but I can't do that. Because of another circumstance that's come up in the mission. Um, I can't I can't do that. I'm going to need to send you over here. And I was like, wait. What? Wow. Like you know, and he felt like it was for my own good uh, and safety. But we had to kind of talk through that a little bit. Like that was a that was a little bit of a challenge. Yeah. Um. Anyway. How did you talk through that? And how did like how did that conversation go? Well, it's like what well what can you do? I mean, you know, yeah, true. The mission president, he holds keys, and you respect that, and you honor that, and yet he's received this revelation at this point, and. The, the situation was that a young lady in the ward had expressed some interest in me and in my not moving. And so he's like, I wanted to put you in this area close by, but he's like, I, I can't do that now. So I think for your safety and good, I need to move you into a different place. And I'm like, okay. Wow. Um, it was a little bit of a blow. And, when, and did I do something wrong? Did I yeah. do something to encourage, I don't know, some feelings or something? Like, uh -huh. you know, that was a really, I don't know, that I wasn't able to fulfill what revelation he had received for me. That yeah. was 
that was a little bit of a challenge in there, trying to work through work through that. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the end, it was like, okay, that's what what can I do? This is where he's assigned me, so I'm gonna go do the best I can over here. Mm-hmm. Wow. When you were sick, did you ever feel like pressure or like maybe even like confusion on? This idea that, like, okay, it's not about you, so I should push through and I should have faith that God's going to keep me. Like, I'm going to, yeah. like, go to my wit's end. And then, like, I don't know, you really can't because you really yeah. are sick. So, yeah. like, where's that balance? That would normally be true of me. That That, it, <laughs> that is, like, I would, I would never admit to, like, I'm just going to plow through this and just go. Yeah. I was so, yeah. Just I was demolished. so wiped out there. Yeah. Yeah. High fever burning up just, like. Uh, yeah, groggy, <laughs> kind of that kind of feeling sick, like just what is yeah. going on, yeah, kind of a thing. That that wasn't really an, much of an option to really fight through. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, what was it like coming home from your mission? <laughs> um, when my plane pulled up to Salt Lake International Airport, uh, and. I'm just sitting on the plane and I remember looking out the window and the whole thing, it just like, the whole experience of a mission just kind of just washed over me. And all of a sudden it was like, wow, that was crazy. That was, (laughs) that was amazing. But it was just like, I was just coming home from a trip and that was done. And I was like, okay, like that, it was like a dream. Like it, all of a sudden, I mean, it just washed over me like that had all just been a dream. And, and now, and now we move forward. And that in and of itself is intimidating. You know, we make a mission experience like this huge thing and it is out there and it's huge. And then you come back from that and you're like, uh, now what? Yeah. (laughs) Like, well, you know, what do we do now? Mm -hmm. So it was trying to find my way through that. Um, I don't know that I had contemplated a lot about what was next in my life or in my future or had really prepared for that. Uh, I just knew it was mission. It was mission. It was mission. And now I'm home and going, okay, now what? Um, so that's, that's where the stumbling I think came in for me, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't ever hard for me coming back from a mission and I don't know, trying to reacclimate or something. The weirdest thing coming back from a mission was our, my family went on a trip down to Arizona. It was probably another one of my dad's speaking things or something like that. And I remember standing at the edge of the pool and, and looking <laughs> and just going, this is going to be so weird. Like jumping in to this pool and being completely submerged, you know. And, yeah. and it was weird, but then it passed and it was, anyway. <laughs> That's so funny. But no, it wasn't, it wasn't a major spiritual trial, I guess, or anything Mm. for me coming home. Tell me a little bit about meeting your wife and the experience of, I don't know, realizing that you want that person to be your eternal companion. (laughs) That's, that's a whole nother. So (laughs) we had met, I mentioned as counselors at EFY. Yeah. And in a setting like that, it's a lot like a mission. Like you just see these good people around you who there is a light and there's just a goodness about them. And so, how, you know, how do you not love all these people around you? Um, so I, <clears throat> I had met her uh, through a mutual friend, introduced us 
in fact, at the Cannon Center uh, <laughs> here on campus at BYU. That's where we first met. And then she was, <clears throat> she had been asked to sing for a fireside. And she, she forgot the words of the song. And I felt so bad for her. <laughs> Um, and actually, she hadn't forgotten this. She was really having this spiritual experience on the stage. Like, she was so choked up in the spirit. She wasn't crying or anything, but but it, to us, it looked like, like oh, she forgot the words. Yeah. So I felt so bad for her, so I wrote her a note anonymously. Wow. Um, wrote her a note about what, it, you know, the spirit that we felt from her uh, experience and didn't want her to feel bad about it, that kind of a thing. So I, I wrote this message. Well, as sometimes people do, she tracks down who the anonymous person is that wrote the note. I don't know what kind of handwriting analysis or whatever <laughs> was done, but she found out anyway. Um, and so approached me, and anyway, we became, we became friends, and we started to date. And I just, the idea of an eternal marriage weighed heavily on me. Like, I was what's that supposed to feel like? How do you know? Yeah. When you've met someone, uh, there there ought to be some resonance there, it seems like. There ought to be some, like, I don't know, rapture of the soul yeah. that you're just like, oh, man, this is it. Like, uh -huh. this is it. I'm forever, you know? Yeah. And I wasn't feeling any of that. Yeah. Like, none of that. So then you just start to question, well, then is this the right one is this the right relationship is this someone with whom i can be eternally happy like how do i approach this and not feeling uh, those kinds of things i just wasn't sure and so i i broke up with her devastated her she was absolutely certain that we were going to get married wait how long had you dated for when you broke up a year or something <laughs> well okay so we'd met at efy right and that and so then that fall, we kind of broke up, and, and that then the next summer, um, the program started up again, and we were both doing it again, and so we kind of started hanging out again. I mean, we were friends, yeah. you know, and well, she kind of let me have it. We'd, we'd been to this kind of a training meeting in, in the meeting. After the meeting, she needed a ride home, and she let me have it. And she said, look, you know me better than anyone in there. I expect you to be my friend. Don't treat me like this kind of a thing. Yeah. Like, That's fair. Okay. So, you know, yeah. so then we start being friends, um, again, and she decides, well, you know, I, I'm going to go on a mission then. So she submits her papers. In the meantime, we're still working together. And now I'm starting to feel a little bit more like I wanted to feel like I thought I should feel and all of that. But now she has a mission call. She has a mission call to Dallas, Texas, where my dad had served as a mission president, where I had been oh as a senior gosh. in high school and all that. So she's going there, and I'm, and like my dad literally was like, "Are you, are you going to ask? Are you going to propose?" And I'm like, "Dad, I can't. She's got a mission call. She's the Lord's now. Like I can't yeah. do that kind of a thing." Yeah. So off she went, and and I wrote to her about once a month or something like that, but about. It was a, I don't know, maybe two or three months in that she went cold. Like she went, and from her experience, like she'll say, 
she was still so in love with me. She's like, I can't do this. I can't serve a mission and love him. So she prays to God and says, I can't do this. You've got to lock my heart. And like the next morning she woke up and she was she was stone cold. <laughs> like she was, oh you know, and, and I sense that in the letters and stuff. And I'm like, okay, well, good for her. So I was dating other people. I was in my singles ward and, uh, and my callings and working. And I was, I was dating people and really came close to getting engaged with one girl. And that, that just fell through. And we started to talk about that kind of a future. And so after, you know, it's probably after a year or so that I'm just like, you know, I just don't know that I'm going to find any better than her. Like that, I've just haven't felt that way about anybody else than I felt about her. Um, so I'm just kind of moving forward, but I'm still dating people or whatever. And then she comes back from a mission. And um, by then I was, I was teaching seminary. Mm. And... I thought it would be fun for my seminary kids to hear from a recently returned missionary, like, yeah. you know? So I invited her to come and come talk to the class and come sit in the class. So from, again, from her perspective, she said, I was sitting in the back of your class and I'm hearing you teach and bear testimony. And she's like, suddenly the Lord unlocked my heart. <laughs> she's like, and all of those feelings I had before just came flooding back in. And she was like, yep. And I knew, I mean, I'd kind of been waiting for the last few months, you know, for her to get back and all of that. And so uh, it just kind of, uh, that kind of clicked and resonated then. And so we, yeah, so we got engaged, much to the dismay of her mother. Because <laughs> oh, yeah. I'd broken it off with her before, yeah. I'd really hurt her. And so her mom was really worried that, in fact, she called me a player, like, to my face called me a player and <laughs> anyway uh and so we've had to work through all of that and everything but it's been um but that was yeah that was some working through yeah like and and for me that's just kind of how revelation works i guess it's it's like i i go to the lord and i want him to tell me i i and i will act on it if he will tell me but i find most often he doesn't <laughs> tell me but lets me just work through it. Um, it was that way with my career. Um, it was that way in the story that I've just told in finding my wife, in choosing a school, in, in those kinds of things. I will take it to the Lord, and I feel like he just says, well, what do you want to do? And so I'll make a choice, and I'll start to move forward along that path. And then... I just find that things kind of fall into place um, along that path. And most often what I've chosen to do seems to be right, or at least God honors it. Mm -hmm. uh, and that comes about and that happens. Or that he honors it and, and blesses it for my good. Yeah. You know? Wow, that was so beautiful and such an incredible insight on revelation. <laughs> um, kind of a different question how do you think you personally feel the spirit um for me that is it's just it's in the calm it's in the peace mm -hmm. it's in the just happiness yeah of uh, just being I, i'm just i just feel happy today you know um 
when there's a confidence, when I feel secure uh, about where I'm at and who I am and those kinds of things. All of those are different aspects and ways that I feel the Spirit. Yeah. But those are so easily overlooked. When I'm trying to make a decision about something, I, I, you know, all of us want a column of light. We want angelic ministrants to appear. Yeah, for sure. We want to know for sure that this is the direction we should go. And most often, I think for me, it just, there's just a calmness about it. It just feels like, it just feels right. Like, I, um, and I want more. I want, I want a confirming witness. And yet it just feels like, ah, oh, it's, I guess I'll just try this way. And th there have been times where I'll hit a dead end, um, to use the Elder Holland analogy of using a wrong road, you know? Mm -hmm. And I love that idea. That I'll go down a path, and there certainly have been those experiences in my life where uh, my wife and I, or I, have gone down a path, and it kind of dead-ended, and we go, huh, I wonder why that. But now we know. And we know a different direction and a path for sure to follow. Yeah. You know? Wow, that was beautiful. What advice would you give to somebody who isn't sure how they feel the Spirit? Or feels like they don't feel it? That's so tricky, mm -hmm. huh? That's so hard. And that's so real. Yeah. Um, because you want to feel Heavenly Father's love for you. And I have a colleague who will say, so in answer to that kind of a question, say, so you've never felt happy? <laughs> you've never felt, you know, just good about something? Like you've never felt joy? You've never felt, you know? And those are all elements, aspects, fruits of the Spirit, right? Yeah. Um, that you just felt good about something, and so you acted on it, and it worked out. And um, I don't... I don't know that I can overstate that. Like for me, it's such an, it's such an understated uh, feeling um, that's just so calm and almost ordinary that, that you may not recognize that as the yeah. spirit. But I think the strength of my testimony is that especially for those who have made covenants with him. God will not leave you alone. He will not let you go too far down a wrong road. If you're starting something in trust and you have prayed to know the right way to go and you're trusting him and you make the best decision you can, I just know he is not going to let you go wrong. He just won't. That is just not in his nature and character to mess with, to play with us. There may be lessons to be learned down a wrong road, you know, that are going to ultimately be for our benefit. But he won't let you go too far down there that's just going to mess up your life or your future opportunities or whatever. You're like, dang, how did that happen? That I, gosh, I trusted God, I fasted, and I prayed about that, and that was just the absolute wrong way to go. I, I just don't see that as a possibility. Yeah, I agree. 
What advice would you give to somebody who's struggling to gain a testimony? That you persist in doing the things you know to be right and good. And that eventually, in his timing, that assurance will come. When I think about those that I love who have struggled with this same idea, and whether they haven't persisted long enough um, to show their seriousness to God that they really want to know, or that other things, they've allowed other influences to get in the way of that. I think that's a serious deal. And I think once you do know, you're kind of under contract then, you're under commitment then, you know? And so that's not a light thing. It's it's not a light matter that you just kind of flippantly like, gosh, I'd sure like to know. Um, it seems like that's that's going to require some persistence and some seriousness mm -hmm. about it at the level that you really want to know. Yeah, for sure. That like with that knowledge comes a very serious responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Sure. So it requires a serious, consistent, persistent effort. Yeah, 100%. I agree. Yeah. Thank you so much for your insights. Uh, Thank you so much for coming <laughs> to my podcast. This was incredible. I hope anything we've talked about is helpful to anyone uh -huh. out there sure. in their journey um, of faith or in their struggle, in their search for testimony. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I... <laughs> I gained a lot of insight from this conversation, so I really hope the listeners did too. I hope so. So. Thank you guys so much for listening to that episode. I felt the spirit so much, and I had such a good time interviewing Professor Brindley. He's my New Testament professor. I think I say that in the episode. Um, but he, in class, he always speaks with that kind of spirit and so it was really cool to talk to him one-on-one -on -one and see where he gets that fiery testimony from one of my favorite things he said in this episode was that he said for me that's just kind of how revelation works i go to the lord and i want him to tell me and i'll act on it if he will tell me but i find most often he doesn't tell me but lets me just work through it on my own and i don't know about you guys but that's super relatable to me i find that I often just want to let God's will prevail and I'm like oh I just wish he would tell me what to do and I'll just do exactly that but um God wants us to exercise our agency and to choose the right on our own and so um yeah it was super cool to hear someone who I look up to express that same sentiment and just helped me find some comfort in my own inner dialogue and relationship with Heavenly Father for updates on when new episodes come out, follow the podcast Instagram at gain underscore a underscore testimony and email or DM me for any suggestions or ideas. Thanks so much for listening and I'll see you guys next time.